0: hey Jim how are you doing hey I'm doing well Ralph how are you doing today today is a good day the sun is shining. Yes. All is well with the world.
1: It's reasonably mild
0: out. Reasonably. Okay. I don't know if we're shouting or not, but I'm going to turn us down a little tiny bit here. Okay. Yes. Well, we uh, talked last week, or in our last podcast, about the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, and it's used by social workers and uh, psychologists, as well as psychiatrists, to classify uh, emotional disorders. That's not the only one. The uh, ICD is another one from the World Health Organization, and the two of them are fairly congruent, Uh, but it's the ICD that is used by uh, insurance companies uh, for the most part.
1: So the insurance companies say you have to have an ICD number uh, to get reimbursed.
0: Yeah, right. Um, And, uh, you know, there might be some insurance companies that use the uh, uh, APA, but uh, I don't know of them. And so, when we do uh, diagnostic classifications, uh, we'll often use both numbers uh, and and terminology from both the ICD and from the APA. And, like I say, they're fairly interchangeable, there's some differences, but there's, you know, not a lot.
1: Not a lot. Okay. So... um... I come in and I see you and you say uh, tell me about yourself what brings you here today and I say I'm hearing voices okay and so I go through a number of other things that are troubling me and uh, you end up saying uh, I'm going to give you a diagnosis of maybe you don't say it to me directly but you're a paranoid schizophrenic yes so that would be one classification under uh dsm and uh, similar but not necessarily exactly identical classification uh with the uh, world health system
0: yeah that's that's essentially it and uh uh, this is always changing and, and evolving over time uh the Initial classification system goes back to um, oh prior to the uh, beginning of the 20th century when it was useful to classify um, uh, patients in mental hospitals with uh, different kinds of, of disorders and so the the very first classifications uh, as we mentioned last week had to do with uh, diagnoses of people who have you know really serious uh, psychiatric problems uh, so serious that they would be, you know, uh, patients in a uh, institution.
1: Yeah, and some of those patients, Jim, if my reading is correct, uh, they might have had actual uh, physical problems as well as functional problems.
0: Uh, that very, very correct. Yeah, the the, the first group of people who. Who uh, were diagnosed, for the most part, had what we would now refer to as psychotic disorders. They were out of touch with reality, and uh, uh, or they may have had some uh, some uh, uh, physical problems uh, such as well, brain injury, brain damage. Okay. You know, so there's the, the remember the the uh, what is it, the expression mad as a hatter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The hatters used a lot of mercury in their trade, which causes, what, brain damage. Brain damage, yeah. yeah.
1: So, uh, if you became a hatter in Victorian London, the chances were that after 10 or 15 years working in the trade, uh, you would be met as a hatter.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, you spoke of Victorian uh, London, Uh, that's a time and an era where it really wasn't safe to drink the water, right? Right.
1: In fact, uh, one of the first studies of cholera, uh, the doctor who was studying it uh, looked at patients, and it was the first uh, really geographic study that anybody had ever done. He plotted them on a map of London, and he eventually found out that they were all drinking from the same public well. Mm-hmm. And that was giving uh, everybody who did it cholera.
0: Okay. And so the alternative there is to uh, drink the ale, right? Right. And uh, apparently Victorian London residents drank a prodigious amount of ale.
1: Yes, they did uh, because it was safer than drinking water.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, this could lead in some cases to what we we'll later call Korsakoff's syndrome, which then goes along with uh, severe uh, uh, emotional disturbance as well. So it's a physical cause of uh, a an emotional condition. Okay. Okay.
1: So the people at this time, if, uh, if I remember right, Jim, they were uh, the very early psychiatrists uh, rather than uh, what we later came to be called psychologists.
0: Right. So the the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, is a lot smaller organization than the uh, American Psychological Association, but they were the group that uh, were charged with uh, treating or helping or uh, facilitating treatment for uh, hospitalized patients. And so it became... Um, As we mentioned last time, it became handy to be able to talk to your colleagues about the patients that uh, you might be treating uh, in some sort of a shorthand manner. And so if I were to say to uh, a colleague that uh, Ralph is a paranoid schizophrenic, it's probably pretty safe that my colleague would know what I was talking about and would know some of the characteristics of Ralph.
1: Okay, now that would be true today. Mm -hmm. But originally, it might not have been true. And the reason for that, and I'm going to give our listeners uh, two words that might be new to some of them. One of them is nosology, which is the formal study of setting up of taxonomy, which is the other word. And taxonomy is a classification of things. It could be anything. It could be a biological term. Uh, For example, if we think of the California condor, a big, graceful bird, you see them flying. They're amazing. They have about an eight-foot wingspan. But when you look at their taxonomic classification, they're what they call an obligate a carnivore an obligate scavenger and that means that they eat nothing but dead flesh okay so they look so beautiful but when you see them on the ground eating a dead sheep they don't look
0: nearly as beautiful okay well Nosology, see I thought that was the study of noses, so thank you very (laughs) much, and uh, taxonomy. So it's a way of of, uh, having a shorthand uh, description. And so they began to, uh, uh, when I say they, the psychiatric profession began to write down some of the uh, nosology or taxonomy, and they assembled it into the book that we talked about last week, the DSM, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And it's now been uh, in its uh, fifth edition, even though it started back in the 1920s or so with DSM-1, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 1.
1: Yeah, and that first edition uh, was basically a little skinny paperback, uh, cost three bucks. And had what 128 classifications?
0: Yeah, I think about that. Yeah, so not uh, uh, not a lot, but you know, not as well. We'll get to the DSM-5 in a couple of weeks, and so 120 some classifications of people who mainly had uh, severe psychotic uh, behavior and or um, uh, organic behavior, right? right organic. organic
1: brain damage or or function impairment of some kind. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, today you might say, I think my friend is depressed. Now they're still going to work, they're still functioning in society, but they don't seem happy anytime. But in the early days, the kind of people that... Uh, psychiatrists sought with depression. Uh, They were people who were uh, literally in a mental institution and couldn't get out of bed.
0: Yeah right, in a vegetative state. So the DSM-1 had maybe three major uh, uh, parts to it. Uh, They uh, discussed the psychoses, they discussed or uh, um, the neuroses uh which popularized by by psychoanalysts in the early uh, yeah. 1920s or character disorders
1: okay and so those
0: are the three major classifications and they were broken down into these 128 uh um, different, different radiations yeah yeah
1: so uh, one of the things then that uh if i uh if i for example had a a habit of uh, punching people out when they said something i didn't like they might say well this is not uh, a uh, psychotic situation this is not a neurotic situation this is a character disorder
0: right an antisocial personality disorder uh, perhaps yeah yeah at least that's what we might where we might go with that you know today so We've gotten some new statistical uh, approaches to the um, uh, to, to data in general, and one of them was a factor analytic approach and so the factors on the d s m one were looked at, and they found that there was a lot of overlap with the with the, the factors and so this means that maybe. The reliability of the DSM-1 and the validity of the DSM-1 was somewhat suspect. So what do we do now? Well, we think about a DSM-2, where we try to remedy some of the perceived problems of the DSM-1. So we go from a a booklet that's 113 pages to a larger tome, right?
1: Right. So... The interesting thing is that the larger tome is actually smaller, but it's organized uh, more into discrete categories. Okay. Now, when we, uh, a logical thing you might ask, uh, Jim, since you mentioned factor analysis, a logical thing we might ask is why do they call it the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual? Well, that's exactly it. We are using statistics to help us form our definition. Mm -hmm. So we do factor analysis and we say, okay, there's nine categories. And somebody else does analysis of the same study and says, no, there's five categories. Well, we can fight that one out. But basically, we have agreed that there are categories Mm -hmm. based on stats.
0: Correct. And so the um DSM 2 which came along is actually a little tiny bit uh bigger than the DSM 1. Uh DSM 1 was 113 pages, DSM 2 was 119 pages. And uh, <laughs> it cost a little more, it cost 50 cents more than the original edition. So Okay, three, so now we're
1: up to 350.
0: Yeah. Uh we'll see a uh, <laughs> real price jump as we Uh, go along historically with these documents. Now,
1: I have to tell what I think is an absolutely hilarious story here, Jim. Uh, Between the DSM-1 and the DSM-2, when they were looking at uh, what they needed to change or add to the DSM-2 to to make it more reliable, uh, a guy named Overall uh, conducted a study because he wanted to see something about the reliability of the DSM-1. Okay. Uh, What he did was he took uh, a number of uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, and he sent them into mental
0: institutions. Okay.
1: So they went in and the only thing they didn't uh, say when they went in was their real name. Okay. All their other histories were the same as their real histories. And they said, I think I needed to, to be uh, admitted because I'm hearing voices. I either hear them say empty or thud. So these guys were admitted. Mm -hmm. And they were given whatever treatment uh, the institution thought was apt to be effective.
0: Yeah, and they were given a diagnosis. They were given a diagnosis, yes. And
1: all of them were diagnosed as schizophrenics. They stayed for an average of 19 days. Uh, The earliest release was 7 days, and the longest was 52
0: uh huh. So they were released as being cured, right, Ralph? Well, right. No, not what, so, is it? <laughs> what's interesting
1: is that when they were in, all of the patients in the institution spotted them as fakes. Mm hmm. But the doctors did not.
0: I remember that study. Yeah
1: and And I think that is that is truly funny that, in this case, the patients were more
0: astute than the doctors over who was faking mm-hmm. and uh, speaking of diagnosis, they were not diagnosed they were not released as cured. they were released as having uh, psychotic symptoms uh in remission, which okay. means that
1: we expect you to come back
0: yeah, that's right yeah so the even with the d s m Two, there was a lot of disagreement as to what the um, diagnoses might be. Uh, there was a lack of uh, reliability uh, and without reliability, you don't have good validity so this is going to set the stage for uh, the third act, which is uh, what we'll talk about next time, and that is the d s m three
1: Now the interesting thing about. DSM-3, and not to give everything away, but DSM-3 was a real sea change. Up until this point, uh, DSM-1 and DSM-2 defined things in short, uh, basically under 200 words, um, prose descriptions. In other words, one or two short paragraphs saying, basically, the patient in this classification uh, is like this. And so you as a clinician would read that description and say, does this patient fit that? And if they did, you could give them that diagnosis. If they didn't, then you would have to go on to something else.
0: Mm-hmm. And like you say, Ralph, we're not going to give this one away, but we're beginning to look at, with DSM-3, the effect of the illness on what we refer to as global functioning. Because, hey, there could be people who are diagnosable who don't have any difficulty functioning at all, right?
1: Yeah, now for example, the guy that uh, you think is depressed that I gave as an example earlier, If he's going to work looking after his family, um, basically completely functional, except you think he's anhedonic, another fancy word for never happy, um, does he need treatment? Well, maybe not. I mean, maybe
0: he's perfectly happy. Okay, so until the next time when we get into the murkier waters of DSM-3, this is Jim and Ralph saying keep your stick on the ice because we're all in this together.